When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menes. It's our regular weekly show. So I've got my old friend, Paul Dennett. Paul, welcome back. Great to be here, Menes. And we're also joined from Cape Town in South Africa. I had to get her back after the complete drubbing her team suffered over here. Fatima, a.k.a. the pop increase. Fatima, welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. How are you? Thank you. Yeah. Do you like grave dancing? Because you're about to suffer through it. Um, uh, But before we get into all the headlines and looking back at the South African series, we've also got the Australian squad to India that's been announced. We've got the Australian women's squad to the T20 World Cup that has been announced. A lot to get through, but this episode of Cricket Unfiltered is brought to you by NordVPN, and it's never been more important to protect yourself from cybercrime with a number of high-profile data leaks in Australia that um, you should take these steps and protect your computer and your devices with NordVPN. With with just the cost of one coffee a month, you can protect up to six devices from cybercrime and give yourself some peace of mind. And the VPN, NordVPN, also gives you the flexibility of being able to watch live sport everywhere around the world, even if it's not being shown domestically wherever you are. I've done it before. Been overseas, wanted to watch something that was on in Australia, couldn't, flicked on the VPN and away you go. So you get the security and um, that massive advantage as well. So to grab your exclusive NordVPN deal, go to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered that you'll get a discount there. You'll get a 30-day money-back guarantee. And the link to that is in the show notes. So please um, use that link so they know you've come from Cricket Unfiltered. All right, let's get into the headlines, and we'll start with the, the the best headline, which is Australia completed an absolute drubbing of South Africa. It was a canter. Fatima, you know, you how did you go in Cape Town watching finally South Africa lose in Australia after, well, 16 years? 14 years. But, yeah, a lot of people didn't bother getting up middle of because it was the middle of the night for us here, so a lot of people didn't bother getting up. I was a sorry sod that did. Um, but it was it was painful. I mean, when Warner and Smith were going in the first, was it the second test or the first innings? or what, I don't even remember when it was. Second test, the yeah, double. in Melbourne, yeah. And then Kawadri in the final test, it was like, okay, can, I, I, just, I, just, I can't sit through this. It's too painful. Let me just go sleep. But it, it, nice. was, it, was, it, was, a, it was a complete rubbing. 
Good, yeah. Do you think, from your point of view, the series played out as expected? I don't even think your bowlers were that good, but but in the end, you you just have no batting. Completely as expected. I mean, I said from the moment the squad was announced, it's a completely weak squad. They had so many talented people back at home that weren't selected for whatever reason. They went in with people that they know have failed before. Why were they selected again? It, 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 it was they set them up to fail. The selectors set them up to fail. I mean, and, and the, the likes of Elgar, Mr. Dependable, Mr. Experienced, averaging nine. I mean, his time is up, I'm afraid. It was, I, I agree with Menas that it was probably, if anything, it was the bowling that was more disappointing because the batting, you know, they, they obviously underperformed. But looking at the bowling that Nokia, who got rave reviews, averaged 31, still not, um, it's not bad, but it's not, it's not it's really not, match winning. Great, but think about where they're coming from. They, they continuously see the batsmen fail time and time and time again. They don't get any rest during the test. They have to now come out and bowl to world-class players. Of course, they're not going to be at their best. And Yeah, yeah but you Ramon could say the same in reverse. The, the batting side kept on seeing their bowlers underperforming and they therefore wouldn't have batted well. Only I don't think you can... this series, not previous series is. But I'm talking about this series. I think that um, I don't think you can blame the. I don't think you can excuse the poor bowling performance by the fact that their batters didn't bat all that well. I mean, I know they have to no, play bowl a bit not. more I than mean, expected. From the the first ball of the second test when he kept bowling down leg, I knew right then that he's not. He's not in this. I just thought tactically they were weird how they kept on bowling short. Um, you know, uh, we've. I said. I think I said it in one of the other episodes that for my whole life of watching touring sides come here, so many of them. Uh, go too defensive and too short right from the start. It's almost uh, uh, it's like a trope. Um, and they, they used to always say, oh, visiting sides come to Perth and they get excited by the the, the bounce. And they uh, I know that this, this series wasn't in Perth, but just using that as a sort of a, they get excited by the bounce and they bowl too short. And you'd think that they, they, they should have learned. Um, I, I honestly think that if they'd had um, um, a more... You know, if they had Ben Stokes or someone as captain, um, uh, obviously if he could have played as well, it would have been handy to be that bat and bowl. But um, they could have had um, a, a little bit of um, aggression with the bat. Yeah. They're just yeah, the, the you know they're going along a strike rate of two the whole time or two and a half the whole time, just never look like they're going to get away. And I know it's hard against a really good Australian side, but then in the field. Uh, bowling bounces and having the field push back. Um, it was just every sort of weakness that um, opposition captains have kind of um, had over the years. And I'm always the one saying that the significance of the captain is um, overstated. But I think in this instance, um, yeah, Elgar's... Elgar was very sort of... poor as captain. I'm sorry. His his field placings were wrong. His bowling changes, I mean, just in the final test alone, over bowling the spin when you had bowling Maharaj over Harmer, who was doing better in that test. And he too often comes out after an interval, after lunch or something, and he doesn't go with your best bowlers. He goes with who the opposition would most like to face. I don't yes. understand that thinking. I, I, I completely agree. I don't understand why they played Maharaj at all. I said it before and that I wouldn't be picking him. Did, um, and yeah. one, one for 260. Um, it's not to criticise him necessarily too much because very, very few spinners ever succeed in Australia. It's just not um, spin-friendly conditions that um, I, I talk about it before that when Warren came along, we were saying before Warren came along, I remember it well. It was like the West Indies had it right. Four quicks was the answer. Don't bother with spin. And then Warren 
reinvigorated it, but I'm more and more thinking he was kind of the exception that um, actually, unless you have someone who's a very, very good spinner in Australian conditions, yeah. you're, you're better off going with four quicks. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that's the lack of a strength. They should have just gone with that from the get go. And that's where they went wrong in England as well, trying to, trying to be forced to put spin in. Yeah. Oh, from your point of view, you know, a lot of talk around here, Fatima, is that this is actually one of the great Australian sides. And maybe we're not giving it enough credit if you look at the batting lineup. I mean, Smith and Warner uh, are definitely, you can classify as great players, but Marnus Labashain's putting together a pretty great CV. Um, you know, you've got some pretty handy players around them. Um, and then, you know, you look at the bowlers, they've all got over 200 wickets, the, the top four bowlers. I mean, from your point of view, do you see this Australian side as being, you know, one of the best you've seen for a while? I, uh, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm, I've grown up watching Australian cricket with the likes of, you know, the War Brothers and Ward and Ponting and stuff. So that was, you know, that's the that's the top of the top of the lot there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Stark and, and, and uh, Warner and Smith and Arthur Shane and all that, they're, they're pretty damn good. I'm very interested to see how they go in India, though. I think that's going to be a real test. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think, Fatima, that that's, we'll find out a bit more about this team this year, the tour to India and then the tour to England. I mean, if they can perform well across those series, not even winning both of them, but just putting up a really good performance and not getting drubbed because they, they could get smashed in both series, really, um, then maybe we can start to put that team on that mantle. You know, yeah. I don't think they'll be the, the team of the early 2000s, but they're, they're certainly, you know, just filled with stars. Oh, I think so. I... Sorry, Paul, yeah. No, no, you go, you go. No, I was just going to say, I mean, um, they're absolutely filled with stars. I mean, Stark and I, mean, I think they missed Stark a lot in the in the final test. And he just, he, his reverse swing, his pace, his aggression, his ruthlessness. Australia are just ruthless. And that's what sets them apart from all the other sides, I think. It's funny because Stark is maybe, I wouldn't say underappreciated in Australia, but he, because he himself carries himself in quite, he, he sort of shies away from the media. You know, Cummins, you know, he's, he's on everything. He's beautiful blue, you know, eyes are everywhere and you've got, um, you know, Hazelwood. But, yeah, Stark sometimes doesn't get the credit for how well he does. I, I agree generally that this Australian side, it's not probably as good as the very best Australian side of, the, you know, that 2000. I was thinking of that 2006 Adelaide side that, that Australia had might have been the peak. I know that was after Steve War had retired, but cobbling together something around then, I still think that's at a level above. But I think that I agree, men, as if they can go to India and England and really perform, then I think that they strongly make a case for being certainly the, the second best side um, that, that I can remember. Um, and I'd almost go back and say maybe it's the set, alongside the 1948 side, maybe they'd be the third best side that, that we've had. But it's a long way away from that. I do think they need to perform in India and England, and I think they will. I really think they have um, every chance of winning both series. Um, I'm not saying that they will, but I just think it's um, – I almost think it's a 50-50 toss of the coin, uh, maybe 60-40 in favour of India. But I'm I'm really warming to the idea of there being an upset, and I, I think that they might actually beat England. I think that maybe I'd actually go 55-45 in, in favour of Australia um, in England. I know England has done really well of late. I love their attitude. I love the way that they play, and in, in English conditions, they're really tough. Um, I, I really like I like Pat Cummins as a leader. I know you don't, Menas, but um, I'm no, liking him more and more I for his um, like as, that's wrong. Uh, cerebral that approach wrong. and his and his calmness. Um, and um, I, I, know, I, 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 um, uh, yeah, he's a great mate of yours. Um, uh, I think there's yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about this. About this side. Do, you, do you think Australia's bowlers will be able to handle basketball? 
Australia's bowlers. Um, mm. I, I think that Australia. I, I think that um, yes, I think Australia's bowlers will be able to because it's very <laughs> difficult to bat in English conditions. Um, and I think that that's going to be hard for England. Not because I, I don't buy the notion that because they're going to be too aggressive that they're going to come unstuck. And all the Australians, oh, you know, you tried baseball, tried over there against our bowlers. Because I don't think that's what they're going to do. I don't think that I, I think McCullum and, and Stokes actually play cricket the right way, not just because it's the most attractive way, but they're playing it in a pragmatic way. And I think that they will be sensible when they they're not going to be coming out there and trying to hit every ball for six against Australia if it's not on. But when it's time for judicious aggression, I think that they'll definitely see it. I think that. Where it's going to be interesting is that the Australian bowlers will probably have it over the England batters, and normally that also happens in reverse. That, but I think this time, last time it was really only Smith who performed uh, and Labuschagne in 2019. I, I think that um, there's a couple of others that might perform as well, but it's going to be the testing of them. Going to be bored against Warner again. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, Fatima, just you know, I mean, from your point of view, um, India start favourites against Australia. Yes. And then Just England? They're home. Yeah, and England, do they start favourites or are you with Paul, you'd slightly edge to Australia? I think England playing at home with the new newfound approach, I think they would start favourites. Mm, I tend to agree. Um now, now, just changing tact a little bit, um, during the Sydney Test match, Fatima, there was some whispers um, around the press box that, you know, the, the future of South Africa's test cricket is actually very bleak. And, you know, what we saw in Australia is actually, you know, a bit of an indicator of what we're going to see in the future with, um, you know, too many, you know, not enough test cricket to, for players, too many T20 franchises and uh, the the talent just being drained out of South African cricket. So, you know, how bleak is the future? It's, it's pretty darn bleak. I mean, the, the domestic first-class system here is pretty poor. So you have lots of batsmen racking up the runs domestically, and then the jump from domestic to test cricket is so big they can't handle it. So they need to fix the big problem. We all know it. They need to fix the quality of the domestic system. So players, it's not such a massive jump then from first-class first, first class to test cricket. But then the, but they're so reluctant to try a talented player like Ryan Rickleton, for goodness sake. There's a, there's a 21-year-old Jordan Herman who is, was doing so well at the beginning of the season. The West, I, I posted, after the, the final test, I posted my proposed tour for West Indies, my, my team for West Indies. And I packed it full of 21, 22, 25-year-olds. I'm, I'm taking away all the old over-30s, apart from Baguma and Maharaj. I want to see a young team. They have to start now. There are only three tests this year now. They, they can't be wasting time giving the likes of Elgar and Ovia and, and Zondo the, the, the rest of the test this year and then letting other youngsters get older and losing form. So they need to get those guys that are in form at the moment, that are young and talented and skillful, get them in while you've got them. Mm. Uh, Can I ask a question? So You go, Vanessa. Go. No, no, you go. Oh, I was just going to say... The narrative, as I understand it, is that, um, and I'd, correct me where I'm wrong here or confirm that I'm right, um, that South Africa's financial situation has imploded due to a combination of potentially poor management, declining popularity of the sport, and that as a result, they feel they've got no choice but to become this kind of um, satellite IPL tournament that that's, that's just starting up now in a bid to... Right, and that's and, and that's a bit to sort of save the the sport from basically collapsing financially. 
Yeah. Will it work? It's a bit worrying when the when CSA are saying they felt they've got a good balance between test cricket and T20 leagues when you're only giving your guys three tests for the rest of the year. I mean, the focus is only about this this new SA20. It's only about T20 leagues. It's only about short form. It's only about white ball cricket. They're not giving the, the test team any focus. And how are they going to get better if they don't fix the first-class system? It, it sounds like the West Indies, what they've been going through, and, um, you know, what, what the West Indies did not so long ago, maybe five, six years ago, was they just picked a crop of young players, as you're suggesting, and said, well, these are talented, we're going to let them figure out test cricket. And they kind of kept them together, and it did work. You have to say the, te- the West Indian test side has had some spirited performance in amongst a lot of losses, but there are sort of rays of sunshine there. They've beaten England a couple of times, which is always yeah. fun. Um so, you know, maybe that's a tactic for South Africa. I, I think it's sad. Look, I, you know, I like seeing, I don't like seeing South African cricket suffer. I like seeing the South African team lose. Um, and I'd like <laughs> to see good teams beaten all the time. Um, and so, and, and I really treasure that Australia and South Africa have a really good rivalry and produce compelling test cricket. And I hope, that's not lost. I mean, you can have the odd bad series, that's fine, but I, I hope down the track South Africa can bounce back and maybe the injection of money from this SAT20 does uh, build a brighter future because, you know, they they are – the one thing like Australia, when you turn up against South Africa, they're always going to give 100%. And I'm not saying other teams don't, but they just – you know, they really get stuck in. And as an Aussie yeah. fan, I love seeing that. That's what I was going to actually I, ask. Um, is it – I, I, there's almost two parts to it. One, it's disappointing that test cricket has been deprioritised. But even pulling back before that, if you just put that up to one side for a second, if they feel they've got no choice but to do this for the sort of financial health of the game, will this actually work in terms of propping up the sport financially? Like, is there is the tactic itself sound, regardless of the the the, the deprioritisation of test cricket? Well, people, I mean, youngsters, I think they still want to play test cricket. That's the aim, that's the goal, to represent their team in test cricket. So I hope that it will re- reinvigorate and if, if they see that the test team is getting a bit more of the spotlight, they'll actually want to, to go for it. I mean, you see the performances in, in the domestic season. Guys want to get selected. They're putting their hands up and saying, hey, look at me, here I am, scoring runs, taking wickets, look at me. But will they actually, what I'm saying is, if this flood of Indian money comes in to sort of Stop at the moment, as I understand it, there's the possibility that the lights are going to go out. Will this work from a financial point of view and at least get to the point where they can say, okay, we may not have got much going with test cricket, but at least the sport itself is on a better, better financial footing? Is it a smart move financially? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, they basically they need money. That's the bottom line. They need money. And this, this tournament is going to bring in money. It's going to bring in advertising and sponsors and everything. The, the, the national team doesn't have a sponsor at the moment. I don't think so. That's a big thing. They need to, if they can get that, and then there's belief in the team again, belief in the side. And the, the sport isn't going to die. I mean, you look at Deval Brevis, he's, he's just last night alone. He reinvigorated the hope of South African cricket. Just just one guy. Um, I want to say, though, Menes, I don't mind if South Africa lose as long as they compete. They didn't mm. compete in Australia. No, no. Yeah, I think the really problem fun with to watch. their... Um... Their, their sponsorship is that when they had that sunflower oil sponsoring them and they had that thing where you, you, at the ground, if you were the lucky ticket, you got like a four litre bottle of um, sunflower oil to be given. And that was, it was like, imagine being a day at the cricket and suddenly you've got to take a bottle of oil home. 
the price of oil here—that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're selling it short then. All right, Fatima, we've got to let you go. But just lastly, um, uh, earlier today, Australian time, but the the SAT Twenty League began in Cape Town, I, um, and, and it is actually in the discussions here because it's you know pulling a lot of players out of the Big Bash, and I, I actually. Think it's it's got, I mean it's got a lot of talent in the league. I saw you know in the first match you had Jofra Archer you know up against you know Joss Butler and and uh, Jason Roy and and you talk about Brevis and Rickleson, the two young South African batters making runs. Um, Rashid Khan was captaining the side, so you know for one positive to take away is that um, yeah he wasn't running around the beach, Paul. Um, what one uh, positive to, to take from the the new competition is it you know you might have a premier t20 competition on your doorstep australia's big bash now is is not that um so you are fortunate in that sense um, no, it, it, it was it was very it was it was a good atmosphere the sellout crowd it was good it was a good yeah good atmosphere the cricket was fantastic it was a good good contest it was sixes galore it, it was it was a good start I had a lot of I had look the, the only amusing thing I think the commentators weren't commentating from the commentary box they were commentating from like I don't know in the the hill or something and Mark Nicholas who was being paid a fortune to talk about every incident like it was the best thing in the cricket world I mean it was it was almost too much the way he was talking it up but he couldn't see who was bowling half the time and Paul and I do commentary where that happens like every five minutes. Um, and Nicholas was like imploding. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong again. It's not Sam Curran bowling. So um, maybe they should like commentate from the commentary box. But yeah, That's all I, I'm they, saying. They if they're there, I would say like, use them. They were commentating from like the the, the um, just in front of the spectators. I think so. I think it was not a good vantage point. The reason that we're laughing before is I, I thought I saw Rashid Khan on the beach in Sydney yesterday. Um, I, I I knew he'd left Adelaide. I didn't I didn't realize he'd arrived. <laughs> in South Africa. And I messaged both Fatima and Menas. Just, I just saw Rashid Khan running. It looks so much like him, so fit. So As he ran in the distance, it looked just like him running into bowl. But um, then Fatima said, Paul, he's actually in Cape Town. So lucky I didn't tweet it out. Um, but anyway, um, hey, question for you both then. Uh, from my uh, naive and optimistic perspective, and um, is there a chance that they could say, hey, uh, India in particular could say, if we get to a point in years to come where world cricket is primarily the IPL, a few other T20 leagues, and every now and again an ICC tournament, and then every now and again the Ashes or Australia play India or India play England, and there's a few other test matches going on, but we really don't care about them, that, that's, not what the, that's not a good product. Ultimately, you need something that matters a bit more. And I, I don't dislike the IPL or any of those things. I really like them all. Can we get to a point where they'll be able to say, okay, We've got all this money flowing into the short-form game. We want to ensure that South African, New Zealand, Pakistan, and even, it'll come to it, Australian players don't suddenly say, hey, why am I um, slaving over this test cricket caper when I could pop across to all these different leagues and earn far more than I'm ever going to earn? Can we get to a point where there'll be carved out windows of like test matches are being played in this month and that month and that month and there'll be nothing else on so therefore you you won't get the situation where people have to choose and we'll be able to get the best of both worlds is that a is that a solution and is it viable i'd love it if that could sorry sorry i'd love it if that could happen 
I just don't think it's... Yeah, I mean, not that's, because... the football, that's the international football model. Isn't it? That's what you're saying, really. Yeah, is... maybe not, not quite as targeted as the international football model. It's almost like a week, but almost saying, uh, and I, I won't have the month right, but if they say, okay, June and July locked up for sort of test matches in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, December and January um, uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, um, and or, or maybe... I don't know when you'd have the big bash on there, but some, some way of working it out so that everything has its place. And maybe it might mean that some of the T20 tournaments have to be right up against each other. And then it's kind of, oh, well, the, you know, survival of the fittest. But you know, when it you comes know what times, could help? Hmm? Making the IPL and the BBL shorter. Oh, yeah, the IPL. Well, we're we're doing that. We've we just done that with the BBL. We've, we've shaved um, 20 games of it coming into the, the year after next. Oh, really? Yeah, but not through altruism, just through because it wasn't working. Because <laughs> they're all going to play in South Africa now. Thank you. It's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, Glad to help. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's um, – oh, well, I don't think that's the way the world works, Paul. You don't I, – I don't I don't think India, Australia and England care about the health of the other nations' test teams. That's the problem. I agree with you. But I think that the sad thing is that even if they were being purely – pragmatic and and um, sort of mercenary, it's still the right thing to do, even if it wasn't the right thing to do. It's, it's like the right thing to do from a monetary point of view, because in the years to come, if South Africa uh, become, a, you know, a non-viable entity, then, you know, the game will the game will lose something and that will ultimately affect the, the bottom line for, for India as well. It's, it's nice yeah. for me when I hear a player like Mitchell Stark or Virat Kohli talk about their passion for Test cricket. It's like, okay, yes, there are big names in the world right now talking up Test cricket. This is what we need. But it's Absolutely. easy for them to be passionate about test cricket because they're playing in front of massive crowds for good money. I mean, I look at, you know, you talk about South Africa about to tour West Indies. My f- absolute certainty is that there'll be a crowd of about four people. Um, they'll probably, um, maybe I'm being harsh on the on the West Indian curators, but yeah, they'll no, probably produce. The, sorry? West Indies are coming to South Africa. Oh, the West Indies go to South Africa. There you go. Um, there'll still be t- tiny crowds. Um, um yeah, I, I, it's not a series that's easy to get excited about. So it's, I'm saying it's easy for, for Mitchell Stark when he's playing in front of largely big crowds. I don't blame the West Indian and South African players for thinking, actually, why would I do this when I could, uh, you know, earn good money? Life-changing money. Well, Fatima, it's pretty it's pretty bleak then, the future of South Africa, but I'm going to be watching the SA T20 League bits and pieces. So we'll just see. I implore you to get into it. You know what is the best sport in cricket, punditry in Australia? He's just bashing or criticising your local T20 league. I mean, this podcast has spent hours on the big bash. So I would say um, dive into the SA T20 league. It could be the only cricket you get in South Africa moving forward. Um, so yeah. enjoy. Now, it's a good point, actually, for people in South Africa listening that are sceptical about it with good reason. I was sceptical about the Big Bash. Lots of people were sceptical about the 100. And for all its faults, yeah, of course, Uh, but for all their faults and for all their sort of things like, you know, I I think the commentators standing in front of the crowd, my initial reaction to that is almost a vomit. But um, my initial reaction to the creation of the Sydney Sixers was when I remember, I've I've said it before, I got an email, who will you support? Um, What will you choose, Sydney Sixers or Sydney Thunder based on colour or players or whatever? I thought, well, no. I had New South Wales in a thriving uh, T20 domestic tournament. Why have you got rid of them? And then I realised when it actually began and the crowds were twice as big and there were young people everywhere and cricket lost its barriers to entry, I suddenly thought, oh, this is why. This is actually, for the first time, pure unadulterated fun that you don't have to take someone who's never seen it before and think, oh, God, 
<laughs> there's some sixes that are going to fall asleep. Um, so, you know, there's probably going to be some Americanism. It's probably not palatable that, that you know, it feels like a, an away tournament in your own home country. Uh, but, you know, if it's going to, if it's going to fix the, the health of the game, then to some extent I agree, men, is, yeah, we should cheer it on. Yeah, absolutely. Fatima, now where can our listeners keep up with you on Twitter? My, my handle is at popincreasesa. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, yeah, enjoyed the mental disintegration of your team. I hope you didn't mentally disintegrate on your couch watching it. But as I said, it's been a long time coming. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Have a good, have a good evening. Thank you. Thanks, Adama. Well, I hope she she probably never come back after the insults, but whatever. All righty, let's get on with um, the rest of the cricket news. So Australia in a, today announced their squad to tour India. It's an 18-player squad, and some of the key talking points are uh, Ashton Agar, Mitchell Swepson, and Todd Murphy, the young Victorian, are the three spinners going to back up Nathan Lyon. Peter Hanscom and Matthew Renshaw are touring after – uh, touring in 2017 with the team then. Marcus Harris has missed out. Uh, Mitchell Stark is almost certainly going to miss the first test and he's going over late. Um, Lance Morris has been included in the squad and Josh Inglis has not been picked as a backup wicketkeeper. They're taking Peter Hanscom as a kind of backup, but I, I did ask George Bailey um, in a press conference today what the thinking was with Inglis, and they're actually really concerned that he hasn't played any cricket. He's been one of those players that's been you know, touring around with the Australian squad, not getting enough game time, and they feel that he could go stale if he sits on the sideline. So they made the point that really he's only one flight away, and they'd rather be him here playing some shield cricket, keeping, and then if if – Something happens to Carey, uh, you could fly Inglis over. And, and you know, if there's a, a real urgent situation, Peter Hanscom could do it for a day or two. But really, from what Bailey was saying, Inglis is a backup keeper, but they'd rather him here playing cricket than over there watching. Yeah, that's fair enough. Oh, I think on the whole, I don't have a huge amount of uh, disagreement with the squad. Uh, for those of you with your bingo cards, get them out. I was, of course, disappointed that Maxwell wasn't included. Uh, I know he's been injured um, and I know he hasn't played Red Bull cricket for a while, but I still think if I'm putting my life on the line, do I want him in the Australian squad for this tour or not? The answer is simple. I do. I, I honestly think we're a better side with him in there than not, but um, maybe there's a chance for him was to Was he available him. selection, though? I mean, I think so. How many? He was quoted in the media yesterday, as far as I can tell, saying he was hoping he was going to be picked. Okay. Um, so unless that's unless I read it wrongly, that was what I thought that he was. It was definitely available for selection. So I mean, it's hard for them to. No, it's not. They they might say it's hard for them to pick him if he's injured. It's not. You just put him on the plane. I mean, God, it's not going to hurt. They're taking eighteen already. They could have just taken him. Taken nineteenth. Um, what's mm-hmm. the matter? Um, but um, that aside, um, my my one big concern. Um, is just there, we've got a lot of left-handers. And I have seen so many times on um, Sri Lankan and Indian pitches where it just gets really, really hard as a left-hander in the second innings when the, the foot marks have been um, scuffed up. And if you picture it in your mind of a left-hander facing someone like Jadeja coming in and bowling, and it's like it's either going to spin in sharply or it's going to hold its line. Um, it's 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 very difficult. Ashwin averages something ridiculous. Again, like, I think he's averages like 19 against left-handers. And... So you go Kawaja, um, Head, uh, Warner, Carey. Um, you know that's um, that's a lot of left-handers that, that that could be made. Um, 
you know, finding things difficult. That's my, my, my number one concern. My number two concern is I don't know how confident I am in our spinners being able to um, match it to theirs. I, I, you know, Lyon's a good bowler, but he tends not to carve up in India. There's lots of times where he goes okay, but doesn't quite take the bagfuls of wickets. Um, so th- those are my only two concerns. Other than that, I, I think Australia's better. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that, but I agree with you with the spinners. And you know, I think back to that 2017. So this is the challenge for Australian cricket. You know, we don't play a second spinner very often. Even at shield level, spinners often get limited opportunities. So you're really asking a spinner to come out of nowhere, go to the, one of the hardest places in the world to play and perform. And, you know, you look at 2017 when Australia competed with India, they lost a close series. There was no accidents there. Stephen O'Keefe said, I'm not going to play the Big Bash this year. I'm going to prepare for India. And he locked in on how to bowl in India, spoke to everyone he could, and he went to India 200% prepared for the condition. You know, he'd been bowling with a red ball ready for those conditions. And I just fear we're taking in some bowlers who are pretty green, who play little or no red ball cricket, have no idea the conditions they're about to face. And, you know, the Indian batters will go, okay, who's this Murphy bloke or Agar? We're going to target them because if they knock the second spinner out of the attack. Um, Australia's severely exposed because, you know, Lyon, Lyon will have to bowl all the overs from one end. I agree that O'Keefe's, Preparation was awesome in 2017. I loved it when he pulled out of the Big Bash. And Australia itself went to the UAE and on um, bespoke wickets for the Indian conditions. It was the in modern times when preparation is hard and, and abbreviated. It was one of the best prepared tours ever. And as you said, Australia almost won. They probably should have um, just about won. But I, I don't think that's the main reason that O'Keefe bowled well. I think he bowled well because he's just a really, really good yes, bowler. Absolutely, um, should have gone. This tour. That's the. Um, that's the thing that uh, you know. O'Keefe had a, um, a a better first class bowling record than Shane Warne. You know, let that sink in. He had better figures than Shane Warne. Um, he had a first class bowling average of about twenty four and a half. And for people who say, "Oh, you got to bowl at the SCG," his first class average was the same outside the SCG. I once did the maths; it was almost identical. SCG versus non SCG. Warne's Test Warren's first class record, I'm not sure off the top of my head, is more like 26. Nathan Lyon's first class record as a bowler isn't as good as Steve Waugh's. Um, I, I just think that um, I agree with you, men, is that it's a, uh, it, it's a pity that O'Keefe, well, I know he's a bit older now and he's retired, but um, you, you sent out a tweet yesterday saying they should co opt him back into the side. I, I actually don't think it's farcical. A lot of people replied saying he can't go four overs in the big bash and he's retired and everything else. But, geez, uh, you know, you could do worse. But, you, you know, you, this is the sort of out-of-the-box thinking that can win you series. I mean, it's a bit late now, but, I mean, if, if you're Bailey, why didn't you think a month ago, look, O'Keefe's a pretty good option. He's actually been there. He and Lyon bowled together. He's still playing professional cricket. It's not like he's completely retired. You know, if you'd said to him a month ago, are you up for this? You know, get him, you know, run a few laps at Manly Oval, get fit and, um you know, it's, it's literally a one tour, and then we're never going to play two spinners again till we go back there. So, um, you know, you, people say it's out of the box thinking, but it's actually not. If you look at the way Australian cricket is set up, it's not that wild. Yeah, and I, I said, okay, if off the top of my head, had a bowling average of twenty four or twenty five. Agar, who I think is potentially going to go well, and I'm happy that he's in there. 
And he, he doesn't play as much first-class cricket because he plays so much white ball cricket. But his first-class average is 42, um, you know, at a strike rate of 83. Uh, they are very, very, very modest figures to expect him to go to India and do well. And he might do well because I think I said left-arm finger spin is so favoured over there. But O'Keefe bowled the same way with an average um, almost half. Yeah. Um, and as well, I mean, O'Keefe had all that experience. But anyway, we're just talking dream world stuff. And um, One thing that I um, <laughs> noticed was um, that they actually put in the press release that the the, the tour coincide with the resumption of the Sheffield Shield and there's a big break between the second and third tests and they are seeing that as an opportunity to make adjustments to the squad. So I actually really like that pragmatism. You know, they're not wedded to this 18, they're going there and that's it. If if something's happening back in the Shield, maybe a spinner starts to get, a, you know, get on a run and they think, well, let's just bring them over, you know, they're bowling. I don't know, but I just like that flexibility that they could go, okay, we need changes. Yeah, um, I think it's an obvious thing for them to do. It would have been weird if they didn't. But th- well, you know, so often don't. they don't. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, like, oh, that's yeah. our team. Yeah. yeah, they're not in the squad, mate. I think um, there was a lot of controversy going to the was it the nineteen thirty four Ashes that they wanted um, Birdie Iamung to be included, and they the Australian players petitioned the selectors and said, "Look, could we just have Iamung? We think you'd do really well over there." Um, and they went, "No." Um, they said, but just take one extra player. It's for six months. And they went, no, you can't have him. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, just, I just want to circle back to the Josh Inglis thing. Um, and, and look, this does come back to player welfare, which I actually think is hard to judge from a distance. I really do think that. So I'm going to sort of defer to the people that are closer to him and maybe he does need to be here. But, but I have to say it is a risk. You know, if, if a day before a test match um, – Kerry gets injured and either Hanscom has to play who's not a first-class wicketkeeper or you fly Inglis over and he's in a test match with, you know, sort of no time to acclimatise, that's not ideal. I, 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 I'm just a little bit nervous about that. I think Hanscom will be fine. I think the only reason that you I think Hanscom's not going to be fine is because he has said he's more of a batter than a keeper. If his whole career he'd said... Oh, I mean, I'm a top-class keeper. I'm really, really, that's what I want to do. I'm just being kept out of it. You'd be fine. Um, I disagree. You know. Keeping on, that's ridiculous. I mean, you're keeping on up and down wickets in India. It's, it, it's a yes, very, that is a very skillful thing. In Australia, <clears> maybe, I could, but I actually think you'd need a specialist wicket keeper. I mean, Glenn Maxwell could not keep wickets in India. I'm sure that in Australia, um, Carey would fumble 7% of catches and that in India, Carey would fumble 17% of catches. And I'm sure that in Australia, um, Hanscom would be almost the same. That um, yes, it's harder over there, and you've got to, um, and you know, you can make more mistakes. But the established keepers make mistakes as well. I mean, Kerry dropped that catch in the last Test match. Um, the, 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 it, your argument would hold water if the top level keepers versus the ones who are almost as good, there was a demonstrable massive difference. There's not Ollie Pope. Ollie Pope did a fine job over there from from England recently. Um, it's an artificial distinction that people just make up. What's artificial about someone having more experience than another? Like, <clears throat> you know, Kerry keeps all the time, Hanscom doesn't. Because prove it. Show me the numbers. Oh, you mean like this? Well, we, we need to get these baseball stats happening and really measure yeah. keepers accurately. Um, I've said it before that, you know, you, you, if you whatever argument you make to prove that the keeper is that important, 
you could make exactly the same argument that Mark Waugh was actually a specialist second slip and the fact that he got a few runs was a bonus. Because second slip, although they don't touch the ball as often, you know, they drop catches far more regularly. You know, second slip might get two opportunities a match. Um, uh, Mark Waugh catches two um, and the next best second slip catches one and a half. The keepers get five opportunities a match. The the best one catches four and a half. The second best one catches 4.3. You know, um, the, the actual impact those numbers are obviously made up but the actual impact of second slip is probably more significant than keeping and i know that's heresy and everyone says that's um you know nonsense but um for everyone who disagrees with me send me your profit and loss on your cricket betting i know just but surely like you've seen a good wicket keeper versus a bad wicket keeper that's the issue yes i have and the, the the good keepers Catch, drop drop as many catches as the bad ones half the time there's this i i can't honestly say that, for example, that Healy was a better gloveman than, than Gilchrist. Everyone says that. When, when, when Booney kept in the World Cup. Anyway. No, but I, I, I'm not saying that there's no skill in it. It's a highly skilled thing. But I'm saying that Hanscom has done it a fair bit. That um, Boone, fine player, but you know, I don't think he's as athletic as, as Maxwell or, 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 or Smith or Warner. I'm sure that um, give them a bit of an opportunity that – They'd be every bit as good as um, for, for as much as it's possible to tell the difference as um, as the others. And anyway, I, I'm just saying I'm not worried about Hanscom having to fill in rather than Inglis in this series. Okay, took a day two, the big day two. Um, well, you shouldn't poke the bear. You shouldn't poke the well, bear. You're crazy, sir. So. Uh, I wonder what the listeners are thinking. Uh, like all the wiki keepers that you know play cricket and listen to this podcast must hate you right now. Yes, and I'm sure that if there's no such thing as a batting average, it, lots of people would think that Mark was a better, better, better than Steve. Look, you know the way he threw the onside, magnificent. Steve Waugh looked half the time like he was holding a, a chunk of um, metal. Oh, he's a far better player. Um, it's the same argument they use for the keepers, but because there's no numbers to back it up, they get away with it. So yeah, all those people who are saying that I'm nonsense like that, you know, think about it. Think about that. I'm right. sure. Well, look, I'd like to like say all the wicket keepers out there, I really appreciate your work. Um, all right, our next cricket headline, it's the Aussie Women's World T20 squad has, squad has been announced. So Australia, we're looking for a three-peat of World T20 titles. Uh, this tournament's being played in South Africa and uh, res- starts next month. This is also the squad for a series um, against Pakistan in Australia of white ball cricket. Um, look, no, th- there are work. A couple of surprises in the Australian squad. Um, Nicola Carey has been axed. Amanda Jade Wellington, the leg spin is not going. And Phoebe Litchfield, our friend, is not going. But some pretty big inclusions. Back in is Meg Glanning. Georgia Wareham is back from injury, the leg spinner. Um, Kim Garth, also the former Ireland international, makes her first Australian World Cup squad. Um, yeah, what did you think, Paul? Uh, I'm fascinated again by Kim Garth being um, in this. I remember watching her in the WBBL for the first time a couple of years ago and having to to Google her and look at her record. And then I watched her and thought, she's pretty good. Um, but yeah, to, to have actually forced to, I know we talked about this before, but to have forced her way into the, um, to have come from Ireland to force your way into the Australian women's team um, is, is a pretty impressive achievement. Um, you know, you can never be sure in, in knockout play because of one bad game. And obviously, India and England and 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 others um, probably New Zealand shape as threats, but they they'd start as um, what do you reckon seventy five percent chance of winning the tournament? Yeah, I mean 
heavy, heavy favourites. Uh, 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 Nicola Carey's the one exclusion that I noticed because she's been such a, a fixture in that T20 side. But I sort of look at the balance and I think Grace Harris is a very good option in that lower middle order. She's got a bit more of an expansive power game than Nicola Carey and she can bowl some nice little off spin. I also think Elise Perry has shown that she really needs to be in our T twenty eleven now, and she could you know bat down the order and bowl like Carey was if when Lanning Lanning comes back into the top of the order. So yeah, I really like the squad, and I agree with you. They're just odds on favourites. All righty, well that's the cricket headlines. Let's get into can't let it go. That little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to the keeper. Paul, what have you got for us? Um, I naively was hoping to go to uh, two of the test matches of the Ashes next year, and I went on to get tickets thinking that there was plenty of time, only to discover <laughs> the whole bloody thing sold out. Um, Already? Yeah. Uh, I think I think what's done me was that because the Ashes have been brought forward a little bit earlier in the season, that the ticket window has been brought forward as well, and um I didn't miss it by far. Like I clicked onto all the different, I was in desperation looking at all the different venues and, um, you know, there's still That's a few day five, day five tickets available and something else. But um, yes, I had been hoping to go to the uh, the test matches in Manchester and in um, Leeds, but I still might find a way to get there. But I was just going to say anyone listening who's got tickets who doesn't want to go and wants to sell them, um, sell them to me. Um, self-serving, hmm? can't let it go, I've got to say. Pretty I'm going to pay for them. Well, I mean, man, is it, the thing is, it's so nice that you've never had a self-serving Harlan and Co. What's you on this week that you, that you had a... Had who, a I spoke, had who I had a beer with in the, the commentary yeah. box? <laughs> had a beer with WG Grace. Um, no, yes, yeah, so well, if anyone's got that, or if any... Um, yes, anyone got any suggestions, um, please feel free to let me know. Um, Followed some become Craigslist. Uh, look, the other thing was... Um, I want to go to the 50 over World Cup this year. I've never been to India. I've never seen cricket in India. Like, if you don't go to the Ashes, let's go together. Let's cricket unfiltered on tour in India. Oh, for sure. Let's um, try and get a couple of World Cup games over there. I mean, how good would some, that be? Some sponsorship. We'll say anything for you guys. Just, um, you know, just get us over there. If you're at Coley, way better than Bradman. Bradman overrated. Coley number one, Tendulkar number two. Whatever you want to hear, we'll say it. Um, I'll even say that, yep. I'll wear an Indian shirt the whole time. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, uh, my can't let it go is um, I put out this tweet on the weekend at the test um, and I was I was meditating on who the most attractive batters I've ever seen are. Not the best, not the most entertaining, but just purely aesthetically, the way they play their shots, who I've enjoyed watching the most. And I had an unfinalised top five. So Lara number one. Mark Waugh, number two, David Gower, number three, Dean Jones, number four, and Usman Khawaja, number five. Uh, so, you know, that was unfinalised. Um, I mean, I think they're all pretty self-explanatory. A couple of people sort of said, oh, was Dino that attractive? But I just loved his wristy orthodox play. I mean, the the way he played, it was just like the ball just, you know, just slid off his bat. Yeah, um, I certainly don't have any argument with Mark Waugh and Gower. Um, the other three I'm not so sold on. I mean, Lara was a, um, an exciting player to watch, but in terms of attractive 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's what you're uh, – for me, attractive is kind of that classical style of um, languid ease, and that's what sort of the definition – and for me, Damien Martin um, is right up there and possibly the most of the, the most attractive of them all. But, um, yeah, Dino with the sort of pugnacious style, I, I wouldn't pl- class it in that same way, but both he and Lara were highly, highly watchable for sure. Mm. Lara's high back lift was just – and the way he just – anyway, I just loved his shots. I mean, it is a personal thing, you know, what you – aesthetically watch yeah yeah Kawaja slid in there maybe some recency bias I think he's such an elegant player and when in form he just does it so easy like Mark Waugh did and but I think Damien Martin's probably the one that would go in there for Usman Kawaja um every shot he played was like out of a textbook um but this got like a lot of replies on Twitter and I just want to sort of just punch through a few these are some good replies Greg Chappell, I'd agree with that, but I unfortunately never saw him play live. Did you? I saw him play live, even though I'm younger than you, just because I'm more of a cricket fan than you are. That's okay. Um, I um, I remember him right at the end of his career. And, um, yeah, he's obviously – he's not done justice by some of the older footage as well, but um, certainly up there. But I, I don't think he's quite as elegant as Mark Waugh and Gower. Mm. And VBS Laxman, I don't think is elegant. Lovely player, but a bit stiff through the offside. Martin Crow, gone. I was going to say I, I can't put Vivius Lexman in after what he did to us in two thousand and one. I watched him fifteen <laughs> hours straight scoring two hundred and eighty, whatever else. Um, I'm sure it was elegant to un, a non-Australian fa- fan. <laughs> Martin Crow is very elegant. P- yeah, it gives you PTSD watching it. Yes, uh, Sangakara yes. is a good one. Um, I didn't see a lot of him live, and I, um, so I didn't put him in mind. Michael Clark, I don't think it's there. Although when he was yeah, at his best, he was very attractive to watch. Uh, Ricky Ponting's one a lot of people suggested, and I'm not doubting Ponting's greatness, but to me, like, aesthetically, he was the way he sort of fell across. I, I, just aesthetically not in my top ten probably. The thing I liked, I, I think it's I'll put him in a category like Lara where he was highly watchable but not in the classically elegant way. But um, I remember one pool shot he played where, even in commentary, Bill Laurie said that looked like Bradman, and it did. Like he had that when he when he really nailed a pull shot when it wasn't really short enough to pull, and he still smacked it through mid wicket for four. That was probably the you know my favourite shot of his. Um, mm. And he's just about the best player I've ever seen. But yeah, I, I kind of agree. His on drives are pretty spectacular. Someone put in Meg Lanning. Hard to argue. Yeah, definitely, uh, that's yeah. a good one. Barbara Zam. Not not for me on attractiveness. Um, just aesthetics. Um, a little bit loose, not classical. I'm not knocking him, but just doesn't make the the attractive mantra. Hello to everybody uh, in Pakistan listening. Yes, hello, um, <laughs> Muhammad Yusuf, another player from Pakistan. I actually think that's a good shout because he was just a beautiful time with the ball, and it, everything was just so pretty. Um, so I actually think that's a really good shout. Yes. Um... I agree. Um, another one that comes to mind just um, uh, that I didn't put in there was Mohammed Azaruddin. He was a very attractive player as well. Mm, shit bloke, apparently, but um, <laughs> good, good player. And he made some great runs in Australia. Um, Aviv Richards. Yeah, he also was attractive, just, uh, just uh, while we're in the yeah. subcontinent. Sally Malik's also, don't know why I'm thinking him. The rat. Sally, Malik the a bloody, Sally Malik was a bloody attractive player. I remember um, uh, one time he hit three consecutive fours through the covers in Australia and the third one was a bit wider and he went down on one knee as he sort of played it and that was a it was a bloody good shot. 
A lot of people replied with Viv Richards, and this is interesting because I think actually as he um, went on, he got more brutal. But if I had this video um, and it was like Viv Richards and it was a BBC video and had a lot of footage of him in the late 70s when he first really came on the scene. And actually then he he was a little bit more elegant and deft, the way he used to play through the leg side uh, with, with a bit more finesse than I think as he got bigger and stronger and could just hit bowlers back over the head for six. He put the, you know, stop flicking them away. But, um, yeah, he's, he's undoubtedly almost there. Like, he, he was fucking mm. good. I agree. Very underrated in terms of elegance. I agree with that, yes. Now, some of the worst um, suggestions, well, some idiot put out this tweet, Chandipal Bailey, Rory Burns, Kepler <laughs> Vessels and Farwood Arlem. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good one. <laughs> I know, a funny tweet, but the four ugliest batters in cricket history. That's Paul Dennett put that one out. <laughs> Someone was trolling and they put Sean Marsh. Nah, sorry. Clearly not. Sean Marsh Jeff actually Marsh. is regarded as, um, as quite a few. I, I never saw it, um, but um, a lot of people said, yeah, he's got a really, you know, they, they love his cover drive. Someone else put out. Often ended up in second slip's hands. <laughs> what about Jeff Marsh? Yes, Jeff Marsh had... Um, Jeff Marsh should be on the bottom of a list of attractive-looking players. Um, Ian Bell, I never found him um, particularly attractive to watch because I found him a bit stiff. I thought he was technically correct but not fluid enough for me. No, I thought he was really good. I thought it was a good show. I thought you were um, being silly when you put him there. I right. think he's closer to the top list. Top list. Um, Hashim Amlar is another one that comes to mind that was pretty mm-hmm. attractive. Uh, I also got Alex Stewart, which I just think is – he was a, a fine player, but certainly not uh, attractive, in my opinion. And someone just put in Matt Short in the BPL. <laughs> I just thought it was amusing. <laughs> I mean, he's having a great BBL, uh, but I wouldn't put him in the company of, like, Lara, Mark Ward, David Gower. I mean, David Gower, that 85 Ashes tour, he just spanked us all around. And actually, one of the first test centuries I ever saw live was Gower's 90-91 uh, century at the SCG, um, pres- you know, which came after Michael Atherton killed cricket with 90 or 7,000 balls. Um, <laughs> uh, and then um, and someone put here the worst is probably Graeme Smith. I'm sorry. Graeme Smith was one of the ugliest batters I've ever seen bat. I mean, how not not skill-wise fine, great record, but, I mean, the, I, I, you know, I wouldn't walk, you know, 50 metres to watch him play. I'll, um, yeah. Oh, as I often do, I'll harken back to sort of the Bradman's attitude was that he really had absolutely no interest in aesthetics. It was just all about the scorebook. Uh, however you get your runs, it doesn't matter. Uh, and the notion of scoring for the, the, the you know, what was pleasing on the eye, because people used to say, oh, you know, Victor Trumper was a more attractive player. And I think they used to irritate him. He'd say, well, you know, why didn't he score more runs then? Um, so, yeah, I'll, yeah I, I know what you're coming from with Smith, though. I'm not trying to value someone's I know, the way I know, they look I over the yeah. run scoring, but, you know, especially when you're sitting in a test match and you sort of all these memories are flooding back of these brilliant innings, you start to think, you know, what you just like watching. And when, when you're live and when you're not on TV, I just think you get, I don't know, some of the stroke play just sticks in your memory. Um we better go, Paul, because I don't think you pay the power bill. It's getting very dark where you dark. are for those watching on YouTube. I was just um, noticing that. The light that we have here is flickering, and so I turned it off. But, yeah, it's just starting to – the sun's starting to set. <laughs> so we'll wrap this one up pretty quick. But, uh, look, and another coup for cricket broadcasting, the best duo in commentary in Australia are back, Manners and 
Paul talked about so Paul and I will be at Chatswood Oval this Sunday uh, commentating in the Kings Grove Sports T20 Cup Conference Final. It's Gordon taking on Sydney Cricket Club. It's free on KO, so if you're at home and, you know, all the other crickets that's on KO, you don't want to watch that, tune in for us. Um, that'll be fun. So, Paul, yeah, see you on Sunday at the ground. Looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to it. Well, thanks, Fatima, very much for joining us. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and watching. We'll be back soon. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.